All right, take your Bibles this morning. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 12 through 19 this morning. And the title of the message this morning, Behold Your King. John the Baptist, he declared when he saw Jesus come over the horizon, he said, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. Well, this morning I want to bring a message in which I titled, Behold the King. You see, Jesus fulfilled three roles in his earthly ministry. He was prophetic. He was a prophet. He was a priest. Believer priest, he would offer himself as a sacrifice. The Lamb of God, and he was king. Prophet, he's the only one who fulfilled all three of those roles. And uh, you know that Saul got in trouble. Why did he get in trouble? He tried to do a priestly duty when he tried to offer a sacrifice when Samuel, the prophet, hadn't gotten there in time. And, and you know, <clears throat> he was not qualified to do this. You know, and, but Jesus was qualified to fulfill all three of the roles that he embodied as prophet, priest, and king. But this morning, we're going to focus on him as king. And the the event that we're going to see this displayed in this morning is that of his triumphal entry. Oftentimes, you will hear this type of a message preached on a on a Palm Sunday. And, and um, when the week before Jesus' passion on the cross for us. And, but this morning, we're going to unpack this event that's found in all four of the synoptic gospels and so i want you to follow along with me if you're there john 12 beginning in verse 12 read with me the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that jesus was coming to jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord the king of israel then jesus when he had found a young donkey Said on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they had heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The triumphal entry was the only public demonstration that Jesus allowed while he was on earth. Oftentimes, Jesus will reveal who he was in private. He revealed, of course, to the disciples who he was. And you remember when he took them to Caesarea Philippi and he asked, who do you say that I am? He said, he first asked, well, who do the people say that I am? But then he asked them, who do you say I am? And of course, Peter had the right answer. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We know what the woman at the well, John 4 she said, when Messiah comes, he will put all things, he'll tell us all things we need to know. Jesus, of course, looked at her and said, I am he. He revealed that he was Messiah. And there's only 
a few select who got to uh, get this information directly from Jesus. But here we find in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, before he would go to the cross, a public demonstration. Now, of course, he was doing this. It was on the prophetic calendar. He had to fulfill this Old Testament prophecy that we find in Zechariah 9.9. And it took place during the feast of the Passover. It was the biggest of all the feasts. It was the time where they would come in and offer a lamb for the sins of, of the nation. And many lambs would be sacrificed during the Passover. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he tells that one year census was done and the number of lambs that were slain uh, that year were a figure that was mind-boggling to me. 256,500 uh, lambs were slaughtered that year during Passover. You see, many of those who would come to Passover, they would bring their lamb some. They would come in early and purchase their lamb there. But they were required, the, the law required that they would spend three days with that lamb. Many families would raise their lamb and it would be the best of the bunch. God required the best from them and and they would spend this time and no doubt come to love that lamb. And, but that lamb was set apart for sacrifice. They knew that that lamb's blood would be shed and the spotless lamb, that lamb without blemish had a purpose to temporarily cover their family's sin. But as we see in the triumphal entry, Jesus was making his way into Jerusalem, no doubt surrounded by lambs, he himself being the greatest of them all. I want you to get this picture. He's the spotless lamb sent from heaven. And he was coming into Jerusalem for sacrifice, to shed his perfect blood for my sin and for your sin. This is an event that was beyond what we could comprehend. And he's making his way there. The word got out that he was coming. The dinner at, uh, at Bethany had taken place. He had been anointed, of course, by Mary. And, and the word began to spread that Lazarus and Jesus and the disciples, they're going to make their way in for the Passover. And the buzz could not have been any higher. At this point in his ministry, his fame was at his all-time high. He had raised a man from the dead, a man who had been in the grave for four years. And so the crowds would have been booming. There were three different groups in the crowd that day. There were the Passover visitors who were from outside of Judea. There were the locals who witnessed the raising of Lazarus. And there were the religious leaders we're going to see in verse 19, who were greatly concerned about what Jesus might do at this feast. So this, I want you to understand this group. The pilgrims, they were still coming to their decision on Christ. Uh, the, those who had witnessed his miracles, many believed on him. Remember, we learned they were now sold that this was the Messiah. This was the long-awaited king. And then we have those who rejected him, the religious leaders who had already begin the process of planning to put him to death. Now, their plan was not to do so during the Passover. They knew that that would cause an uproar with those who believed Christ. 
They were going to wait until an opportune time to, to do it privately, to, to execute Jesus uh, out of the sight of the public eye. But we're going to see later that Jesus, would, this triumphal entry that Jesus allowed will force their hand. You see, because the Passover lamb had to shed his blood during the Passover. You guys understand the Passover? Have you read the story in Exodus? How while God's people were in bondage in Egypt and Moses, of course, being sent to deliver them. And the last of the signs was that the firstborn of every family would die when the death angel would be sent into Egypt. But God prepared his people. He told them to raise a lamb, to have a spotless lamb that they would sacrifice and they would take the blood from that sacrifice, from that lamb, and they would put it over the posts of their doors. So when the angel, the death angel would come, he'd see the blood and he'd pass over it. That's where that tradition comes from. And they were still observing this, how the final uh, miracle that got them, of course, expelled from Egypt. And um, so this is what the Passover pictured, how God delivered them from bondage. But Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to deliver them and, and the rest of the world for all of eternity from the bondage of sin. You know, we are slaves of sin apart from Jesus. You know, we try to show the world and, and others our best side. And, you know, most people try to cover up whatever it is that they struggle with. <laughs> but the truth is we're all sinners who fall short. We are all an unclean thing, the Bible says. Hey, don't let the world and its philosophies corrupt our minds. There's none, of, there's none good, the Bible says, no, not one. This is why we, there should be no pride in this room. It boggles my mind in my own life. I'll be the first to admit it, how I can have any pride. I know me. I know but for the grace of God. I knew where I was and where Jesus found me. I know uh, the grace that has been extended to me. And yet sometimes pride creeps into my life and I somehow think that I'm better than anyone else. Let me tell you, let this preacher testify for a moment. I'm a wretch. God reminded me of that this week. That my righteousness is, uh, is as filthy rags in the eyes of a holy, righteous God. See, the gospel is more beautiful and Jesus is more glorious when we realize who we are. The fact that he would make that entry into Jerusalem for a wretch like me. Oh, amazing grace. Somebody this morning needs to see it anew and afresh. You've been saved too long. You're getting too big for your britches this morning. You think that you're good. Hey, I want to tell you this morning. Hey, if the Apostle Paul will say, hey, I know that isn't me. There dwells no good thing. Then all of us can stand in that line with him. Somebody needs to hear that. It will change how you treat your family. It will change how you respond when your wife fall short. It will, it will change how you treat sinners. When sinners act like sinners, it will, it, you will be a grace conduit, a grace giver, instead of ready, ready to smite someone the moment they slip up. And I was that man. 
You know what's changed? God has shown me who I am. He's shown me the depravity of my heart. He's, he's shown me over, you know, when I first got in the pulpit, you think I'm fired up now? I was ready to beat people over the head with this thing because I thought I was good. I thought I was better than somebody else. You know what's changed? Failure. Personal failure. And just being exposed by God. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize who I am. When Paul began his ministry, you've heard me say this, he said, I'm the least of the, of the apostles. But at the end of his life, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. What changed? Paul had a 30, 30 year ministry, died in his early 60s. What changed in those third, those three decades? He got closer to God. And he realized how far from the holiness of God that he was. That's why it always baffles my mind how there's any pride in the church. It's deceptive. It, it hides in places in our lives. and But pride is to God and he resists the proud, right? But he gives grace to the humble. What is the humble? The humble realizes who they are. And, and we're just privileged to know Jesus. Hey, guys, I want you to know no, nobody's twisting my arm to be here this morning. Hey, some of you, you're here because your wife is going <laughs> to tell you about it. If you're not here, oh, no, 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 no. I'm here because I know the grace of God that's been extended to me. I don't have to serve him, but I get to serve him this morning. I get to exalt his name. Oh, if you understood what you are, what I am. Oh, you'd be the first to this halter when you walk in here. You wouldn't be so dignified and think you have it all together. Oh, let me tell you something. I know you. I've said this a few weeks. You don't have it all together. And I'm telling you, I know me. I don't have it all together. But for the grace of God. Somebody has to hear this. That's the introduction, guys. <laughs> triumphal entry I want you to see during this entry they honored the king they honored him the Bible says that the, the great multitude they had come to the feast the pilgrims had come to the feast and they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem and they grabbed palm leaves and they, they met him on the way and they worshipped him they exalted him they praised him and um, they were praising Jesus because they believed that he would liberate them from Rome. Their worship was based upon what he was, what they had in their expectations. It wasn't worship that was, I would say, in spirit and truth. And they praise Jesus for their own personal agendas. 
And uh, they honored him nonetheless. He deserves honor. Isn't he worthy to be praised? Jesus had lived the life that none of us could live. He was perfection. So when he entered into Jerusalem, he was still the spotless Lamb of God. I don't care what any of the books or the documentaries try to say about Jesus. He never sinned. He was tempted in all points like we are, but he was without sin. Temptation isn't a sin. Temptation is temptation. When we fulfill those lusts, then that sin. But Jesus, he was tempted, but he never fulfilled the urges. He never uh, gave in to the flesh like you and I do. He was absolute perfection. And so when he walked in, he deserved to be worshipped. Jerusalem was the city of peace. It was known as in his city of a great king who was coming to it. The waving of palm branches was a symbol of victory. Oftentimes when a king was victorious in, in war in those days, he would make his entry triumphantly into his city and he would receive much by the way of praise, pomps, and circumstances. And the Romans no doubt saw what was going on and they probably snickered because here it is, this Nazarene, uh, he, he was uh, adorned in probably the, the most simple of robes you can have, feet dirty. I mean, <laughs> didn't even have his own donkey to ride into. We'll see in just a moment. And they probably snickered like, this is your king? They probably didn't take it seriously. But, oh, they did not know who this man was. The crowd, they were looking to Jesus to free them politically and they're looking for a national savior, but not so much a spiritual savior. This is what Jesus had come to be, a spiritual savior. Israel missed their day of visitation because they did not understand, even though it was prophesied throughout the word of God, that the son of man would be a suffering savior, that he would go through, uh, he would be cut off, but brought back to life. They they were not looking for uh, a spiritual savior. They thought that they were good in the spiritual sense. We sacrificed lambs during the Passover. We are God's people. We are the seed of Abraham, we heard them say oftentimes throughout the Gospel of John. They thought that they were good spiritually. We've got it all handled, but Jesus knew better. He knew that they were lost as a nation from the leaders down and Truth is, we are all lost, as I mentioned a moment ago. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. So they praised, they honored the king. The Pharisees didn't like what was going on, of course. They, in John, I'm sorry, in Luke 19, they, they, they rebuked Jesus, said, hey, rebuke your disciples, tell them to stop, in other words, as they were praising him. But Jesus, said, if I tell these to be silent, the stones would immediately cry out. <laughs> I talked about that a few weeks ago. Like, I would love to hear the voice of a stone praise Jesus. And um, But they missed their day of visitation. The pilgrims welcomed Jesus. They spread their garments before him. They waved those palm branches. This was a signal of peace and victory. They quoted from Psalm 118.26. 
which is a messianic psalm. And they proclaim that he is the king of Israel. He is the king. Behold your king. They were doing this. But as they were doing this, I want you to know what Jesus was doing. Was he receiving this worship? Sadly, no. He knew how shallow it was. You know what Jesus, at this moment, what Luke records that he was doing? He was weeping. He was weeping. Because he understood their hearts. He knows the hearts of men. And I was thinking about it this morning. I just put this in my heart a few minutes ago. What does God think about our worship? Is it shallow? Is it not from a a true heart that is set apart for him? I was thinking Jesus understood that these same crowds in just a few hours would go from worshiping him to say crucify him. You see, when you come to Jesus with your ulterior motives, soon you will say crucify him. When you come to Jesus with your list of to-dos or or what you want from him, soon you will vilify him. Soon you will turn from him. When it doesn't go how you think it should go, soon you will turn your back on him. We should come to Jesus for what we can give, not for what we get. That's worship. Worship ascribes worth. I'm doing this because you are worthy. Whatever you ask me to do, Jesus, you are worthy. However the chips may fall, you are worthy, Jesus. And that type of Christianity is the type that rocks the world. But I'm telling you, the type that we see in America, oh, I'll come to you, Jesus, if you make me healthy, wealthy, and happy. And that's why America's going to hell in a handbasket. Because there is not true discipleship found in the churches. We are not disciples of Christ. I'm praying over my life and over your life and my family. I'm praying that we will be disciples. That where he leads, we will follow. That what he commands, we will do. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They honored him, but it was not true worship. What did Jesus tell that woman at the well when she said they worship at the mountain? Jesus said, you know not what you worship. What God is, God is a spirit, and what he desires is for those who worship him to worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? In spirit and in truth. I'm telling you. Don't fashion a God that isn't the one found in Scripture. Worship him according to the way he desires worship. Worship him uh, in a way that he is worthy to be worshipped. I'm telling you, we've gotten so confused in the Church of America. We think that uh, we've cheapened worship. We've we've fashioned a God in our own likeness. We've fashioned a Christianity that costs us nothing and doesn't change our lives, how we're going to live Monday. I'm telling you, that's not worshiping God in spirit and truth. We're guilty of it. 
I'm afraid. Because there's scary texts in the Bible where Jesus say, depart from me, I knew you not. I don't know you. These people, they honored him, but it was very uh, shallow. So Jesus, he's making his way in. He's receiving this honor. It, it was prophesied. This was, this was a significant event because it had been prophesied. Jesus would fulfill every prophecy pertaining to him. And the prophet Zacharias, I think we have the verse, Zechariah 9, 9. This is what was being, was, what was taking place. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. I want you to understand the daughter of Zion is talking about Israel and the daughter of Jerusalem. And um, it says, behold, your king is coming. Your king and he is just. As I mentioned a moment ago, he's perfection. He's without sin. He is holy. He's just. And having salvation, he's the only one who can save. That is why we praise the name of Jesus. He's the only just one who has, who's ever walked this planet. He's the only one who can save. The Bible is clear. Neither is there salvation in any other name given under heaven, given among men. There is only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. He has salvation. But I want you to see he's meek and lowly. Look, it says lowly and riding on a donkey. The colt of a foal of a donkey. In, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives the instructions to a few of the disciples to go into town and you'll find this donkey tied and untie him and bring him to me. And uh, if the people ask you, the owners ask you, what are you doing? You let them know the master has need of it. <laughs> I was thinking about it. next time I see one of you guys pull up in that in your new car, I'm going to have to say, hey, I need those. <laughs> the master has need of that. I'm serving the master. I need to get there quickly. Like Jehu in the Old Testament, he, he, the Bible says he drove the chariot furiously. Preachers need fast cars. We got some, some place to be, right? Hey. <laughs> I'm still praying for a Mustang, you know, like, my God, a Mustang. A horse, right? We're going to come back riding a horse, right? Camaro's good too, Phil. Phil, like, he's a Chevy guy. <laughs> but I want you to see the picture. He's humble. He's on, the, he's on a service animal. Kings would not ride on donkeys. Typically, they'd ride on the best of the best. When it comes to horses. But our Lord is a suffering servant. It was prophesied that he'd be that. That he'd be comely. There would be no beauty to him. That he'd be meek and lowly. And this is what he is fulfilling. And I want you to get this. Jesus was openly declaring. Announcing to the people. He was intentional in what he did. He knew this was fulfilling prophecy. And uh, that he indeed was telling the nation that he was their king, the king of kings, promised Messiah. 
Guys, when we worship him, we are worshiping the king of kings. And we worship him because of who he is and because of what he's done. This triumphal entry, I want you to understand what he was entering into Jerusalem to do. To be crucified. Shameful, excruciating death. We know he was on that cross for six hours. Naked, ridiculed, spit upon, beaten beyond recognition. Oh, the love of Jesus. Do you love him? Oh, I love him. He loves you. That's why he walked or rode into Jerusalem. He had you on his mind. He said it in John. We'll get it to it in a few chapters. John 17, he says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Those other sheep is you and I, the Gentiles. We're going to see in the next verses, there are going to be some Gentiles there at the Passover. And they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus was so laser focused. He said, I can't do that now because I first have to, if a, if a grain of wheat must first go into the ground and die to bear fruit. And I'm preaching ahead, but <laughs> Jesus had to die and be glorified. He first came to the Jews. Then he would go and he would begin to, through the church, through the, the apostles, he began to reach the Gentile world. And there was an order to this matter, and it was prophesied it would be so. So the significance of this event was that it was prophetic. Jesus was fulfilling it. No matter if Israel didn't understand it or, or chose to reject it, the king was to be honored. But I want you to see what they said when they honored him. There's one word that really stuck out, Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna to the king. This is what the people shout at first. It's a Hebrew word, and it means save now. Please save now. And they didn't whisper it. They shouted it out, and they declared, save us now, Jesus. But they were, of course, thinking about political salvation, not spiritual salvation. They wanted to be from under the Roman oppression. Now, I want you to understand, it was not easy to be under Rome. Taxation, anybody? Do your taxes yet? <laughs> Coming like Rome. Taxation on taxation. A Roman soldier could see you and you're busy in your day and he could tell you, carry my, my, my pack and you were required to do so for at least a mile or two. They were not kind to the Jews. They, the, Jews were, the Jews were a thorn in their side. They didn't like the Jews, so they didn't treat them very nicely. And because um, the Jews were stubborn. and So they wanted to be from under Rome. So they were crying out, save us now. But Jesus was there to save them from a greater oppressor, Satan, sin. And self. Truth is, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, they are enslaved to sin. Every 
human. We are born with an innate desire to do that which is not right. We aren't, sin isn't just what we do, it's what we are. You don't have to teach your kids, I tell this, how to, to lie, steal, cheat, fight, you know, be ungrateful. You don't have to teach that to your kids. And, you know, we get the privilege of dedicating these little bundles of joy. I told my kids this week, as mom was away and we were having deep conversations in the car, I said, you know, I said to them, just jokingly, I love my babies. Let me just say, I'm so thankful to be a father. I told somebody this the other day. Um, you know, I'm living my dream. I always wanted to be a father. I always wanted to be a husband. I always wanted to have a family because, uh, you know, coming from a broken family. I wanted to be not like my father. I wanted to do things the way God put it on my heart to do. But anyhow, I was telling them, you know, I said, kids, you know why God gives you guys to us and you're so cute and cuddly and... <laughs> And you're, you know, you're little and you're tiny little fingers and you don't talk back in the beginning. And you, you want to know why it does that? Because because if you came out fully mature, <laughs> we wouldn't want to have more kids. <laughs> and they looked at me like, Dad, you don't love us. <laughs> I love you. I love you. But I know me, I know I'm broken, and you guys are broken too. <laughs> and um, I just want to reiterate what the Bible teach, teaches, and this is what it's saying, that he, Hosea, save us now, but they were not aware of what they really needed saving, saving from. You see, because sin leads to death spiritually. Do you understand this? That if Sin is not dealt with through a relationship of Jesus and him only. That a person, when they die, if they die in their sins, they will be eternally separated from God in a literal place called hell. Sin is no light thing. Sin is nothing to view at with laughter. You know, when we see people, I think, you know, a lot of us were up in an uproar about what we saw happening on the Grammys and what we see happening, you know, across our nation with the depravity and the perverse agendas, even within the school systems. And we had some women this week who, and a good turnout from Westside Christian Fellowship at the Westside Union, uh, I think, board meeting. And because of the the agendas that are being pushed in the curriculum there, trying to teach young boys that they could become girls. Yeah, I'm going to get a strike here. I'm, I'm, I'm living on that edge, right? But anyhow, we were there representing and praying against that and, and trying to speak up against the atrocity of that. That is, to me, is child abuse. Why would you confuse a five-year-old who can barely tie their shoe about who they are? But anyhow. Don't get me started. Um, sin. Sin has dire consequences. And this is what Jesus was coming to obliterate for finally, for once and for all. He was coming to, to end the reign of darkness. The reign of Satan. And uh, let me tell you, this was no little thing. Jesus saw us at our verse. He understood who we were. 
And yet he still loved us and went to the cross for us so that we could be made as white as snow because of his blood shed for our redemption. I want you to get it this morning. See, oftentimes we want, we desire to have God on our terms and, but the truth is that we are, we are utterly depraved apart from him and, 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 but for his sacrifice, but for the blood of Jesus, we are all lost. And this is what these people didn't understand what they needed, but they really needed to be free from the slavery of sin. And I've, I just was reminded this week, you know, as I saw the clips of that, that satanic ritual I saw that took place on the Grammys, I saw um, the the reenacting or, or of the Last Supper with, with, with the rapper Jay Z and others sitting there. I saw the mocking openly of what we believe. You know what that did for me? It just reminded me of something. You don't really see them mocking Islam like that. You don't really see them mocking Buddhism like that. You don't hear them coming after Joseph Smith like that. I want you to understand something. The reason why the demonic realm takes every shot they can at Jesus, because there's power in that name. (laughs) The demonic realm understands better than you and I do. (laughs) These other gods are powerless. They're not a threat. This is why they continually throw shots. And um grieve my spirit some some and and I may get canceled for this too, but agree my spirit to see, you know, prominent worship leaders on stage performing with some of these secular artists. Now, don't get me wrong. We should be light and darkness. Don't get me wrong, guys. I, I don't want to be I'm not a I don't want to be legalistic in certain things. I don't want to be off balance and God correct me if I am, but they were singing a song about a rapper who passed away, and um, in the song it's talking about seeing them again, right? And this, this worship leader is singing that they're going to be reunited in, in heaven. I don't know. See, if you're going to align yourself with Christ, you, you won't be invited to those things. The truth will, will, will alienate you from those type of events because what needed to be said is, hey, guys, we mourn the passing of this young man tragically. But I want to say that the way to know for sure that you will spend eternity in heaven is a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know if that young man had a relationship. I hope he had a relationship with Jesus. He might be in heaven. I'm not saying that I know that. But the message was that you can live in a lifestyle completely opposite of what the Bible says and promote it and to glorify it and the, to and, and not show any sign, not not have any fruit. And it's it's all okay because when you die, we're all secure to go there. That's not the truth, my friends. We've got to understand that I know you in this room understand that, but it's so important that we don't we don't run away from speaking the truth in love. And it, like I said, it grieved me because it just seemed like 
platform is more important than kingdom a lot of times with the Christian leaders today. And um, we'll be to God, you know, we get back to speaking the truth in love. But they sang Hosanna to the king. The Jews wanted out from under Rome's oppression, but Jesus would deliver them. And he was planning to deliver them from the oppression of sin. He was a humble servant. He came on the back of the donkey. This was a sign of peace. He came to purchase peace with us. You know that we, apart from Jesus, we were enemies of God. We, we were at enmity with God, the Bible says in Ephesians. But God, through Christ, reconciled us to him. We are now uh, accepted in the beloved because of his shed blood. Can I get an amen about that? And we've got to uh, let that sink in. Yes, we we were in need of a Savior. These people were in need of a Savior, but they didn't quite realize it. They wasted their opportunities. They were ignorant of their own scriptures. And the next time that Israel will see their king, it will be radically different. Pray for Israel. We did this morning in the prayer meeting. A lot of people in Israel still are lost in deception. And they need to know the true Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget driving an Uber in L.A. when we were planning the church. And um, man, I picked him up near Beverly Hills. It was evident he was affluent. He had money. And uh began to talk to him in the conversation. He asked me what I did other than, you know, drive the Uber. And I told him I was a church planner. I was a pastor. And we began to talk. And I asked him, what do you think about Jesus? He's like, oh, we don't believe he was the Messiah. You see, I go to temple, I, I, I observe, you know, Judaism, and I, I don't believe that he was the Messiah. Our Messiah, he's going to come, he's going he's gonna to rule and reign. He's going to be a victorious, uh, you know, soldier. He's not going to be crucified. This is what he said. He's not going to be crucified. Nobody's going to have the power to crucify. Let me, let me correct. And I was thinking this. Jesus did not, he allowed himself. They didn't have the power to do anything. He submitted his life. He laid down his life. And I, I, I lovingly tried to explain that to him. And he said, we don't believe the New Testament. You know, as far as you would believe the New Testament, we, we, we do in the Old Testament. And I said, hey, the Old Testament has a lot to say about Jesus. <laughs> and we talked just for those few minutes. And I just remember just thinking, so close, yet so far. So we need to be praying for Israel. The next time that the world sees Jesus, it won't be as a lamb, it will be as a lion. And you know, the, the media and the Hollywood, everybody want to, they want to mock Jesus, but they're, the day that he cracks that eastern sky, there will be no mocking. <laughs> there will be no joking. Every knee is going to bow. I want you to see it this morning. Revelation 19, I want you to see these verses. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, no donkey this time, a white horse. I imagine it's the most beautiful white horse ever. We have people in our church who raise horses, and, and I've seen them. They're beautiful. We were over at Donald's a few months back riding horses, and she had a Clydesdale. It was beautiful, big muscles, you know, and just beautiful. And I can only imagine the horse that Jesus is going to ride out of heaven on. 
<laughs> going to be something to behold. White horse. I'm sure it was going to be just beautiful. And he, he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Listen to that. When Jesus returns, he's going to judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, that I think will be there, white and clean. We've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Listen to this. Out of his mouth, he's going to speak the words and a sharp sword is going to come out. And with, and that with, he should strike the nations and he himself will rule with, will rule them. He's going to rule all the nations, all the nations with a rod of iron, authority, power. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God. And on, and he has a robe, and on his thigh is a name written, listen to this, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hey, that's how he's coming back. John, of course, is the human author of Revelation, and also John, John's Gospel, first and second, third. John, he was one of the sons of thunder. He, had a short fuse until Jesus got in his life. How many of you guys say, I sometimes have a short fuse and I need Jesus? <laughs> Jesus transformed his life. He became the apostle of love. But he, but you know, sometimes we in churches, we like to emphasize the love part and we forget to speak the truth of the wrath of God that is to come. Now it's not fun. I don't do so with excitement, so to speak, but the wrath of God is coming. We are living in Sodom and Gomorrah, worse right now in America. And there needs to be a people who will be faithful to witness and to tell of the wrath that is to come. You understand that some people will not come if you just paint a Jesus that is weak and will not judge. I'm going to be honest. Some you save with fire. Snatching them. Out of the fire. And um, you read about the revivals in America when the, when the conviction of God is in a room. When the spirit of God is moving conviction, you hear men cry out over their sin. Women weep. I'm telling you, it's not going to be pretty. We've been asking God to rend the heavens, but are we truly prepared? How that's going to look is, is there, you're going to lose all your dignity. I'm going to lose all my dignity. <laughs> But it's worth it because repentance is necessary for salvation. A person is not saved until they change their mind about sin and they turn to the Savior. This is why we preach repentance every single week here. Because what America needs to hear even more, I think, than the grace and the love of God is to repent. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. What did John the Baptist preach before Jesus came through? He spoke grace and truth. He didn't, he was a savior, right? 
But what did John preach preparing the way? Repent. Repent. Get right. Get ready. He's coming, and that's what we're called to do. Hey, somebody needs to see it today when you go over for the Super Bowl party. <laughs> I'm not saying you turn, stand in front of the TV and start to preach, repent, you heathens. I'm not saying do that, guys. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. <laughs> but we've got to take seriously what God in His Word clearly outlines. Are there Christians who still are concerned with the lost? Are we burdened for the lost? Paul, he was burdened for his people, Israel. He said, I'd be a curse from Christ for my nation. You know what that means? I'd, I'd go to hell if it meant that my nation would be redeemed. That type of burden for the lost, it, it, it will show in your life. That's why he did what he did. He was stoned. He'd get up and go to the next city. Because it was real. It wasn't just an emotional thing. Sometimes we have this, we have this flash of emotion. You hear Pastor Abel scream and spit for about 45 minutes. You get in your car and it's out your mind. But what we need to ask the Lord is to baptize us in his anguish. How does God feel about what's going on in our nation? And, and let that change us tomorrow. I'm not always on mission. I'm guilty of it like you are. I just want to get in the store and get out. I just, I don't want to be bothered. I, you know, I... I feel like, you know, they say pastors live in a fishbowl, and I'm learning it to be true. You know, everywhere I go, there's somebody who knows that I'm a pastor. <laughs> and uh, usually that leads to long conversations. You know, sometimes I just want to just want to work out. I just want to, you know. But God reminded me this week as I'm talking to a young man who's has, who's having suicidal thoughts, who is struggling with alcoholism, and I'm trying to talk to him about the Lord and, and uh God reminded me, hey, this is this is this is real ministry, son. It's one thing to preach it from the pulpit, it's another thing to live it. And I want to encourage us, church family, could it be that God is shaking the foundations of this nation to wake up the church? And I, I was talking to a family in the prayer room a few weeks ago. They were formerly Catholic and during COVID, they they <laughs> They came to faith in Christ. They started coming to Jet Hawks and God used that event, that, that fear that they were under to draw them to Him and, and, and they've been growing and they can't get enough of West Side and, and, and um, I'm telling you, sometimes God will do things. He will shake things up. He caused uh, difficulty to come in the nation to wake her up, to, to say, hey, you, you, you think this is all sweet, huh? What if I take my hand off of you? And people have been rattled the last three years. And every time it seems like I see on Twitter something about God is trending, people are searching for something to grasp onto that is real. 
And here we are. We aren't being vocal. We aren't being the lights that we've been called to, to be. Oh, there were people in the crowd there who were testifying. I want you to see it. Verse 17. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the, his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness what they bore witness of who, what Jesus had done, his miracle, right? And you and I were Lazarus, right? We were dead in our sin. <laughs> he brought us to life. And you know what we should be doing? Witnessing. Unashamed. I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ. On my basketball, I have that scripture written. And, and uh, oftentimes people see it and they ask me what it means. And I tell them this is what it means. And have you heard about Jesus? Do you know you have a relationship with him? I asked the guy this week at the gym. He was supposed to be here today. I'm going to keep praying for him. And um, But, hey, how are you witnessing? What are you doing? Who did you tell this week? Hey, I got a homework assignment for every one of us. Tell somebody about Jesus this week. Hey, you go out to eat. Ask the server, hey, how can I pray for you? What's your name? Tell me your story. Be interested in people. And God convicted me of that this week. Like, hey, when I'm out and about, I should be asking people, hey, how can I pray for you? What, what, do you need something? Hey, hey and, and being about his business and so that I can have a, a window, maybe an opportunity to tell them about a Savior who loves them, who died for him, them, and wants to have that relationship with them. Hey, what else matters? Come on. Hey, I hope over these last eight or nine weeks when I've been going through the Gospel of John, you know, that God is lighting a, a passion in every one of us to be witnesses. This is what John, his purpose in writing this Gospel was so that others will believe. And I want to just say this. Don't, don't let another week go by without looking for these opportunities to be a witness. So, Jesus makes his entry. <laughs> the people came and, and worshipped him. They, Hosanna to the king. The Pharisees, we know, the other group in the crowd, they weren't happy about it. They, they, they were very pessimistic. They said, oh, the whole world is going after him. They thought that they, it was over. And uh, <laughs> God... He accomplished his will. He was in control at every moment of this process. And they were forced to arrest Jesus eventually that during the Passover. And he would, of course, be crucified for us. And says in verse 16 that the disciples didn't understand what was going on until afterwards, until Jesus was glorified, until he rose from the grave. I want you to know. I'm not preaching, you know, God bless our Catholic friends who haven't come to the full understanding. You know, every time I go into a Catholic sanctuary or something, I see Jesus on the cross. It just does something for me in a negative way. Let me say that. <laughs> He's not on that cross anymore. He's gotten off. He lives. He lives in me today. He lives in you. Y'all felt his presence today. 
He's real. This isn't some fairy tale that I'm up here preaching. This is the truth of God's Word. And uh, if you don't know Him, today would be a wonderful day to get to receive Him, to get Christ. And you can leave here without a shadow of a doubt that when you take your last breath, that you will be in His presence. I want to encourage you, if you need Christ, don't put Him off. And Christians, hey, it's good for us to hear the gospel preached, right? It reminds us who we are, who he is, and what he's done. And in the light of that, I want you to know he loves you. He knows you fall short and I fall short, and he loves us still. Let us get back up. If you fall, if you fail this week, get back up and walk with him. Go and sin no more like he told that woman caught in adultery. Get thoroughly right with him today before you leave. Allow God to speak to your heart, especially if you need Christ today. Don't put it off.